So, hi, I'm Hannah Sheree Smith from the British Blacklist. And I'm Wheelan Barzi, also from the British Blacklist. And today we're joined by the 2020 selection for BAFTA Breakthrough. So congratulations, everybody. Very well done. We're very excited to be joined by you today. Can you all introduce yourself and uh, the breakthrough credit that you've been recognised for, please? And don't be modest as well. My name's Ruka Johnson and I've been recognised for... I'm a costume designer. Hi, my name is Abigail Zankwa and I am a Mozza Camera TV director and I've been recognised for Love Song. Hiya, my name's Birma Jardi. I'm a director and I've been recognised for my film, Here Not Here. My name is Joy, I'm a producer. I produced Blue Story last year. Hi, my name is Shella Ramanan. I'm a narrative designer and a writer in the video games industry. I'm the co-founder of Threefold Games and our debut game was Before I Forget, which came out this year. And that's what I'm credited yeah. for. Which I'm very excited to talk about. Hi everyone, my name is Bookie Beckery and I played Rocks in Rocks. I absolutely loved, so thank you so much for your performance in that. Hi, I'm Tamara and my breakthrough credit is Kindred, which is a film that's just come out. Thank you, thank you. Um, so firstly, how did it feel when you first found out that you were one of this year's BAFTA breakthrough brick? Let's go to Ruka. Oh good. Um, how did I feel? Well, amazing. A bit in shock. Obviously, I really wanted to be selected when I applied. But when I had looked at like past years, they hadn't selected a costume designer before. So I thought my chances were a bit slim. So it was a beautiful surprise. Probably the best news that I've had this year. So, And the first person I told was my agent. I have less knowledge about the costume side of things, but it's so cool that the BAFTA Breakthrough recognises that and brings to attention, you know, the important contribution that is going on behind the scenes as well. Also be able to, um, well, you already know, but if you could let everybody else know what um, films that you were part of. Oh, the film I was credited for was Blue Story and I also worked on Rocks. Abigail, what was it like for you when you first found out? I think similar to Ruka because my role, multi-camera directing, has never been recognised before. And in my head, I kind of thought, as much as I wanted it, that it was going to come next year. I don't, I don't know why, I just didn't think it was going to come the first time round. I I, so I was a bit in shock. I was a lot in shock, actually. And the first person I told was my mum. What made you not think that it could be this year? I don't know. I think partly it was because... As far as I knew, I mean, I hadn't gone back through the whole history, but I had never seen a name. When it was directing, it was always like documentary or drama. I'd never seen multi-camera director and being recognised. So I didn't think I had much of a shock. And also, as much as for me, that show was impressive for me in my career, it's not, I don't know, I look at things that other people have done and I think they've done amazing, amazing things. But in my little world, in my career, this is amazing for me. I just thought maybe next year knowing at the time what I knew in terms of the jobs that I was doing at that time I found out I thought I probably had a better chance next year and that this one was although it was good for me and my career it was just it was a small show for BBC Scotland and most people in this country or this island have never watched it so no it definitely had a lot more of an impact and carried a lot more weight than you thought it did yeah. so congratulations thank you I guess um, we'll lead on to Bin so um, I found out on email and I really wasn't expecting it. Um, I kind of had to reread the email 
look up his check that that was actually legitimately what I was reading <laughs> but to be honest it was beyond anything that I could have dreamt of in, in terms of being part of um, Birth to Breakthrough this year and the first person that I contacted and told was a producer um, who actually was the one that nominated me to be part of the process so it was great to have that connection and to see that the result of that for me um basically to have recognition in my work yeah it was it was it's a great opportunity let's go to cello i haven't told anyone because it was all like under nda <laughs> so I, t- I haven't even told my mum <laughs> So, yes, I'll uh, do that on Mondays as you'll find out with everybody else. What did I do? I was just like shocked. Yeah, because it was kind of a rush to do the application. I remember I did it, I got the date wrong. And so, so yeah, I was shocked and amazed because, you know, some really brilliant people have been on those lists before. And then I told PR at work, my team lead, and he was like, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I mean, did all of you not get to tell your parents? I would be so sad if I couldn't tell my mum straight away. <laughs> um, <laughs> Vicky, did you get to tell anyone when you found out? Yeah, I mean, I know we weren't allowed to, but I couldn't help it. I read the email, but I read it as, I really didn't believe I was going to get it. So what I read was, sorry to inform you. Oh. And then I, I was like, Vicky, comprehension. Then I read it again and I was like, oh, raw. Then <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was so shocked. And yeah, I just felt so blessed. But would you say that you were rocked by the news? Sorry, couldn't help it. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tamara, how did you feel when you found out? Yeah, I was spun. I was actually in Morocco on a job. And I literally had like four days, but I had to isolate for time. So I ended up being like a month. And so I read the, um, the thingy and was like, oh, and then just like silence. Cause I was like alone, like alone, alone, deep in isolation. So I just emailed back being like, hey, I know that it says I can't tell anyone, but can I just tell my agent? Because I'm feeling mad lonely right now. And so I told her um, and that was good. And then I, I, I pretty much kept them until the other day when I told my best friend, but I think I'm trying to keep it a surprise to my family. What about you, Dre? How did you feel when you found out? I was in prep, so I was like in a meeting, and I was like, like, he can't say anything. And then I told my mom, I mean, she's in Nigeria, she doesn't know what BAFTA is, anything is. So she was just like, well done, where's the money? So I was really like, I was like, there's no money, it is just what it is. That was it, basically. It was nice to share it with her. That was kind of it. I mean, it's interesting that all of you said how unexpected it was and that you weren't really thinking, I mean, Abigail, that it was something that would come later in your career. But I mean, clearly, each of you are doing such exciting and important stuff within your respective fields. I wanted to ask about what it means to get recognised for a BAFTA breakthrough, because obviously it's recognised really important Black British talent like Letitia Wright, uh, Susan Wakoma, Papa Esiodu. And for you personally, how important is it to have your talent recognised by an institution like BAFTA? And what do you hope to get out of this accolade? Abigail, do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I think for me, the way I kind of sort of interpret it, interpreted winning the accolade or receiving the accolade was it was recognition of how much and how far I've got so far but also a bit of a nudge to say there is still more to do and to keep going 
because it's not the first thing I've done, but the things I've done have got me to that place where it was the first series directed show that I had done. Whereas before I'd done small or episodes of other series, this was one where I was looking after the whole thing by myself. And I think that's probably the reason why I got that accolade. What I want to get from it and I hope to get from it is probably a launch pad and visibility so people know that I exist because I didn't come up like the normal routes that most multi-camera directors, I've had previous careers before joining television. So as much as I've done good stuff, I don't think a lot of people know that I exist. And I'm just hoping with this sort of launch pad, I'll be more noticeable. Part of the thing is we want to work. So hopefully that will help me get more work. The same question to Bin. How did it feel? It means an incredible amount, actually. As a deaf person, a deaf black man, uh, a deaf black filmmaker, I exist in a slightly different world and I've never had the opportunity or even thought that, you know, I could be fully appreciated as a filmmaker in my own right. So in the past, of course, people view the fact that I'm deaf is the first layer to me and not the fact that I'm a filmmaker and so you know I'm much more than that and I want to do much more than that and I think and I hope that this opportunity will be an opportunity to branch out it will be an opportunity to cross over the two different worlds so to speak and as well as that I think branching into the field of people that have disabilities as well my drive and my passion is definitely alive and in terms of filmmaking that's a way that I get to express myself in my work whether that be behind the scenes and the camera or you know working on set I think you get to combine a lot of different worlds together and when you have the the beauty of being a filmmaker so yeah it is a journey for sure I think in terms of looking forward to the future I would hope that there's more authentic voices that come from a deaf perspective. A lot of films in the past, perhaps, they haven't necessarily rung true in terms of representation. And I think that whether that's your deaf or disabled or any character, I think that needs to change. Representation needs to be authentic and you need to look at the stories where a deaf person, you know, they don't just be pigeonholed into playing a victim or, you know, a a pitied role at all, that they stand up on their own two feet just as any other character does in a film. So I think, um, yeah, just to level out that playing field is something that I'm I'm quite passionate about doing. And I hope that I have the opportunity to do that in the future and that people can recognise that authentic voice coming from the work that I do. Yeah, a brilliant opportunity and hopefully more work will come my way because of that if there's any actors or anybody who comes into this that they can feel inspired by the process as well. Yeah, I think looking at Here Not Here, your work is so original. And so I'm not surprised that you got recognised in the BAFTA Breakthrough Awards. I haven't seen anything like it. And so, but on the other hand, I think it's so important, like you said, to have uh, artists like you recognised so that we get to see more of these voices and more of these narratives coming through. Ruka, what about for you? I don't think it's really sunk in yet. It just feels amazing. I guess, you know, plodding along and just, you know, trying to work, trying to pay the bills. So it feels like, I guess, an acknowledgement that you're doing the right thing. You're heading in the right direction. You are making some kind of impact. 
it's hard to keep sight of that when you're just you know in the flow of working and like you mentioned a bit earlier especially stuff like roles like costume design sometimes the general public doesn't know too much about it so it's maybe not as recognized or acknowledged so that feels very special and obviously like BAFTA as an institution is big and important so (laughs) yeah it feels um feels really good yeah just where do you expect or hope for it to take you going forward now that you've got this stamp of approval even though we already approved you and your work a very long time ago. What do you hope it will do for you in terms of opening doors and more opportunities? Well, yeah, just that. I hope that it opens doors. I've managed to get through a few doors and it hasn't been easy. So I hope that this will give, I guess, a sort of a boost. There's a lot of opportunities that will probably be open to me now, which is very exciting. Personally, I've been really pleased with the choices of projects that I've made so far I really believe in them but I'd love the opportunity to also work on a lot of different genres different styles of project which is not so easy to do once you get known for a specific type of work I'm hoping it might open up opportunities and also like meeting the other breakthroughs as well this is the first time I've even seen some of the other breakthroughs as well and it's really exciting and hopefully it'll bring work opportunities within breakthrough list as well so yeah very excited about all of it really let's go to tomorrow it's interesting I was talking to my agent about this morning in terms of when you ask how important is it to be recognized by institutions and obviously um in an ideal world, you wouldn't need institutions to validate your milestones, your hurdles, your progress. But obviously, I'm not going to be disrespectful and understand the sort of reputation that BAFTA has. And so in light of that, I am thankful and grateful and understand objectively that it is an honour, even though for me personally, that's not what I do it for. And in light of what I want to get out of it, I think it's collaboration, connection, which is what kind of I want my life to be about in general. Deepening my roots into my craft by being put into contact with people who've gone before me, but not only in the acting realm, because acting is quite mystic. And actually, a lot of people I try and talk to are quite abstract about process and things like that. But I'm interested in producing down the line. I'm interested in writing, definitely. I'm interested in shooting. So I think I want to talk to people like that who can help me to become a more multidisciplinary artist and have more kind of strings to my bow, as it were. As also to talk to people in this company in the year to um, figure out what ideas we can have and break bread and see what we can make. You have such an impressive track record in both theatre and TV already. So I completely understand what you're saying that I'm sure you're already respected within your fields without getting the BAFTA breakthrough. But I think that idea of collaboration is very interesting, given that the roles that we have even in this conversation are so different. And like you said, it would be quite interesting to see what these conversations can birth because of the work that you guys are doing already is so fantastic. Chella, what does it mean to you to be recognised by BAFTA and what you hope to get out of this experience? Kind of a funny one because I've been in the games industry a long time as a games journalist. So this is kind of a second career in the same industry as a developer. So it's odd to be recognised for this early part of a career that's been (laughs) sort of going on for a long time. 
But yeah, obviously, BAFTA is an honour, no matter whether it personally affects the projects you make, which, you know, I don't think it will sort of change the things I want to make or the stories I want to tell. But I think as a Black woman, it's really important for the people coming after us to see someone who looks like me and looks like all of us recognised by BAFTA. In that way, I think it's a really great, exciting honour and it's really great to meet these people in this room and this Zoom call now who, you know, are really inspiring and creative and, you know, the crafts that we're in are all, all about collaboration. So to make new contacts with people and um, I'm really interested in the intersection between video games and film and TV and I think we don't cross-collaborate enough. That's one of the things I'd like to get out of it is to pull some people towards games a little bit who maybe haven't thought about it or you know like don't know what opportunities there are in this really exciting industry for them. And what about you Bucky what does it mean to you especially because you're right at the beginning of your acting career so it's very early on you're literally breaking through in terms of the industry as well as uh, into BAFTA. I'm a bit like in mixed feelings. I'm very blessed to have such a great future, like starting off my career. But I definitely think I'm in a very fragile position and I feel like whatever I do now is going to really determine how things end up for me later. So I'm just like really blessed to be included in a scheme like this that is going to essentially like help me um, navigate myself into an industry that's really, that's really massive. I know people can end up like feeling so small as well. So that's also a blessing, but I, I really feel what Tamara and Cella just said about not seeking validation from massive institutions. And I think that's, that's really important for me because if I end up just always longing for that validation, I'm never really going to get it because I can't be the breakthrough every single year. But I do understand how inspiring it is, even if I wasn't selected. And I remember seeing Letitia Wright win a BAFTA, seeing Michael Ward win a BAFTA, I know where these guys are from and the the way I'm able to identify with them is kind of like motivation for us back in the end, you know. So I definitely see how beautiful and important the representation in like prestigious it's kind of like we're tearing down that wall that's just built up of just the same like reoccurring wonderful people. But I'm a person I love range, I love variation and I think this is what that is. First and foremost, in terms of feeling scared about next career stages and what you want to progress on to. You're one for one at this point, so you haven't missed yet. Definitely continue in this vein because you clearly have a good eye for picking roles that definitely showcase your range and your emotion. Um, I saw that you said this. I often think about how, for some, Rox is not just a fictional portrayal of life in London as a team. It's real. To all the Rox out there, I love, hear, see and feel you. So... I just wanted to know a bit more about how, I guess, each of you, but we'll start off with Bookie, feel that your role isn't just you. It's the connection that it has with other people that can identify with your lived experience. Even though Rox's reality is not mine, I knew a Rox and a small part of me is Rox. I knew a Samay, I knew Agnes, I knew all the characters. I grew up with these characters and I remember filming the whole film and then having a really long bus ride and just looking at everyone on the bus and really thinking about what these people go through when I walk past them. It's like everyone's essentially in their own world 
and everyone's in their own insane realities and jumping into someone else's reality in an imaginary circumstance really made me really really made me like understand that and I just remember thinking about Roxy's circumstance because when I walked down Dawson and realized that a rocks could be beside me and I don't even know someone could just be um going through so so much next to me even in my classroom and they could be just so quiet about it and it just really raises so many questions about the mundane black and brown experience and that's why I really respect Teresa and Claire for bringing up this narrative because I don't think it would have been spoken about what is so is so important even though not everyone's mother leaves suddenly people's fathers leaves people's aunties leaves people are just the circumstance has just so many links and so many ties to different endeavors in life and yeah I don't know if I've kind of gone on a mad tangent but like not at all um in terms of knowing knowing the rocks mm. like us in this call definitely grew up knowing the rocks we definitely grew up knowing the characters that we see mm. you guys played and brought to life like we read they resonate with us where we're from like you said in ends where we come from these aren't just fictional stories this is what yeah. we see and i feel like that definitely leads me on to joy because your involvement in blue story this is groundbreaking for people that aren't from our world it's broken down the wall in between and it's shown them what we see on every day but we don't glamorize what we just have to live through so i wanted to know if you had an emotional connection to blue story as well i grew up in nigeria and i came in i was 16 but like I went to school in Hackney and the school I went to, I mean, it's no more there anyway because you know, gentrification or whatnot, but um, coming from Nigeria and here and sort of seeing how a lot of the kids were treated. Like for me, like to me, like we're just being kids, but a lot of the teachers would look at you like you'll, or treat you like adults and kind of not take into consideration socioeconomic factors or just what might be happening at home for people. And so sometimes, you could get labelled as being disruptive, but really you're just going through whatever you're going through. And when you look at a film like Blue Story, you know, the characters of Timmy and Marco, they're just two young boys. They don't pick where they live. They don't pick where they grow up. They don't pick the things that happen to them. But sometimes in life, certain things happen that lead you down a particular pathway. The thing about me for Blue Story was just humanising young black boys. Because we had this whole conversation about when you pick up the paper, it just says, another black boy has been stabbed. And they just feel so nameless and so far away from you that you never know about their story. So the one thing that I really enjoyed about Blue was just the humanization of young black boys and giving them a name, a face, a story that made you kind of go, I get it. And it's not people that are just mindlessly killing people for the sake of it. There's, there are reasons behind this that we don't talk about. But again, it's that thing of, having had friends who back in the day would sort of say to me oh if i see a young black boy with a hoodie i'm gonna cross the road but he's just a young boy living his life he's not like he's not there to terrorize you per se but i think that's just the perception that always came across so i think something i blue story just really helped to give it a bit more grounding in a way that i think we didn't really have before this is this is a good thing that these stories are being brought to light as traumatizing and as horrific all of these experiences are not talking about them is not going to help. So thank you guys for your role in bringing these to the forefront and making sure that our narratives are um, a lot more accessible to people that aren't from our world. Ruka, you were saying that you, you wanted to branch out maybe from the productions that you've been working on so far. 
how far in your work is it important to represent certain narratives? And yeah, is there, is there a personal aspect to that, that you connect personally to the work that you're creating? Yes, definitely. I'm glad you said that, actually, because like, as much as I want to branch out, I feel like I've been really lucky up to this point to be able to design characters and worlds that I know really well. And I think it's a privilege in a way because I'm bringing a perspective to my design that is not always possible. And with stories like Blue Story and Rocks, I'm really passionate about those communities, which are also my community, being represented authentically and with love. And so, yeah, I feel really blessed that I've been able to do that and bring like my stamp to a world that I know really well. I think also what you were saying there about rocks, particularly, I know has been very poignant with lots of audiences they've been seeing growing up in London, girlhood in a way that they haven't ever seen on screen before. And I wanted to bring Bim in. Do you feel personally connected to the work that you're making? And do you consciously think about representing certain experiences on the screen? You know, it's about bringing the authentic voice to that. And that can be from the deaf community, that can be from the black community. As well as that, it's kind of championing those different worlds and those voices. That's really important. Abigail, for you, it's slightly different on your side, the work that you're doing, but has your personal experiences factored into your work at all? Not necessarily, because my job is really working within the entertainment genre. My job is, I hope the audiences watch my show and they are entertained by the stuff that I work on. So I don't get the opportunity to inject any of my personality into it. My job is to just make sure that the personalities who are in front of the camera bring their personalities to the fore and they share their enjoyment of the production with the audiences. So I am behind the camera <laughs> and I'm probably going to stay there and I'm happy about that. But yeah, my job is really, I just want to make sure my, my audiences enjoy what I do. That's the whole point. Oh, we're definitely glad to see you in front of the camera, especially like you said of your unconventional route here. I wanted to ask you specifically, Abigail, where did the courage come from to say, you know, I want to get into this. I want to do something different. I want to upskill and learn all of this technical stuff that a lot of us just can't really grasp. Like the idea of using all of these different cameras and studio lighting, like I could ramble on all day about how confused I am about how, <laughs> what, you, what you managed to do. So where did that come from? Where did you decide you were going to throw caution to the wind? Well, initially when I was a lot younger, I, I love television. I, I just watch television all the time. And I used to drag my sisters out with cameras from school and make them be presenters. And then I would make short little, little TV shows, little magazine shows and edit them. So I've always had that. I suppose because I'm the eldest of three, I'm quite good at telling people what to do. And then I used to work in fashion. I was a model agent, a photographer's agent, and I moved into um, broadcast management. I worked in a, a TV channel that weirdly, I worked in acquisitions and I acquired a program that Bim made. And we just were talking before this. And we knew each other 10 years ago. And then when I saw his name, I was like, I know him. So that was cool. And I went to film school. And originally I thought I was going to go in. And then once I graduated, we'll work towards becoming an entertainment producer. The directing element of my course, I thought, oh, I'll do it. But I'm not really interested. I want to be a producer. And then sat in the director's chair. And I was like, oh, this is nice. This is where it's all about. 
and just took it from there. And so, yeah, my job isn't necessarily to know every element of the different departments that I work with. My job is to work with my heads of department, so my camera super, my lighting, my sound, and everybody else to bring the show together. I'm the head of the head of, but we all work together. It's also so interesting that you two already had that link, Abigail and Bim. On that note, Joy, you've set up a production company called Joy Productions, and Chella, you also have a POC and Play, which are both kind of in their respective way. Joy Productions is about representing black queer narratives and POC and play was about increasing the visibility and representation of people of color in the video game industry what has it been like entering your chosen industry have there been barriers that you feel like need dismantling for the next generation let's go with cella first i think it's been lonely <laughs> the games industry I can't remember what the current figure is, but I think until recently it was something like 4% um, BAME, that's not even black representation. So just people of color, full stop. So it's incredibly low. And until I sort of entered a room talking about diversity, that was a meeting to talk about diversity in the games industry for people of color, I hadn't met another black person <laughs> in the industry. And considering that the UK games industry is based in London, it's woeful. So yeah, it's lonely. You're often the only person in the room, in the meeting, in the, in the press office, you know, when I was a journalist. And it was so lonely that you kind of didn't notice it because when I was a journalist, I'm also a woman. I think the first thing I noticed was that I was a woman in a sea of men. And then the fact that I'm a black woman was just so low down because it's the minority status of women, that mind women of color is just so fast. Yeah, so it's mostly lonely and frustrating, the stories that get told and the, you know, the sort of protagonist that gets sidelined. But the good thing is, you know, I've been in the industry a long time and there have been changes, there have been a shift towards, you know, we have things like Watch Dogs 2, which had a black male lead in San Francisco. So there is a shift, it's slow, but it's there and it's happening. And I think people like us, <laughs> we can make sure it doesn't slip back and just push forward. And so, yeah, I created Fucking Play because I was frustrated and I wanted to see real change happen. I have an incredible team. Uh, we were launched in 2018. We currently have a hashtag that's trending because we did a BAFTA takeover week on Twitter. So we have a hashtag, I am Pocking Play, which has um, been taken up by people all over the world, people of colour, indigenous people who work in games just to say, hey, I'm here and to have that visibility. And that means that recruiters can no longer come to us and say, we didn't know you were here. I'd like to put that question again to Joy, if there's any barriers you've noticed, but also the power that you have in having your own production company and what narratives you would like to promote on screen as a result of having a production company? I mean, I think it's the same as Cello, is that thing of like wanting to be able to see yourself on screen. Because I mean, Blue Star was kind of like my entry into the industry. I really want to put industry, I guess, because I'd done a few like no budget films beforehand. And doing that stuff, you know, you, just with a love of making film, you do it. There's a lot of collaboration, a lot of just working with people. 
And for me, it was always that thing of, I never would see a queer black person on screen or just an expansive black narrative or a queer narrative or a female narrative. So I just wanted to selfishly make a production company where I could be like, oh, I see myself in all these films, in all these different ways, because we have so many stories. We, I mean, we laugh, we cry, we fall in love. We have thrillers, we can have horror films, we can have all these things. And why don't we have it is the question, you know? So the whole idea of Joy Productions is that our thing is we want to expand the narrative of what it means to be black across genres. So on our slate, we have a queer comedy, we have a rom-com, we have a kids adventure film, we have a thriller, we have all these different things because it's part of our identity. And you know, in terms of getting into rooms, I guess now diversity is the buzzword everyone's using. So in a way, we're getting into rooms, but that can only last for so long. And I'm just a really big believer in knowing how to find that quote unquote mainstream of, of what makes people go, oh, we can put this in cinemas. I think it's just about learning how to market and marketability of projects. So in a way, in my mind, I've always had this thing of, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I will be doing. So there are barriers, yes, but I just try to not see them because I feel like even if one person tells me no, somebody would tell me yes, I just got to find that person and it may, I guess it's part of my like my purpose and like whatever, I don't know, but I just, I'm very like, I'm, I'm just a big believer in that there are spaces for us in everything. And my thing is to just be there, even if that means kicking the door open, you know? If I would just be able to put this question forward to tomorrow, in regards to um, playing a role like July with so much emotional investment, how do you decompress after something like that? How do you go back to being the joyous, light person that we're seeing today after playing a role with so much like gravity? I think weirdly that comes, not weirdly, but it, it comes naturally to do that because what was interesting about The Long Song is obviously we're living in the real life ramifications of that fictional story. And so coming off set, it was painful for me to deep that, oh, actually this doesn't end. It's not ending. We're here. We're still here now to an extent. But being with that cast of people, being with Black people who, despite the odds, not only survive, not only thrive, like really live, really laugh, really still take care of each other, um, really still celebrate and own their own blackness despite centuries of people trying to denigrate and vilify you. I lent into that, like I was very blessed to be in the cast that I was in because it was, it was just banter, the job was just gas. Like I was, it's, the, it's my favorite job to date because I realized what it does to your spirit to work, to have a stronghold in a cast and how psychologically you can work from a deficit sometimes when you don't see yourself anywhere else on camera, on set or off set. And so I laughed a lot, man. I just bust a lot of joke with people. I celebrated my Jamaicanness and actually how it's a rebel island. And so it's in my lineage to find a way to rejoice and prosper despite everything you've been through. And so I was just tapping into that. It was like, despite what was on screen, it was actually like a very, very fun project. Yeah. <laughs> Which brings us round to kind of what you're going to be achieving in this year of being one of the BAFTA breakthrough participants. And more generally, this has been a really difficult year across the arts industries. But is there anything that you're excited about that's coming up in your work or, you know, maybe a project that you're 
seen on the horizon otherwise that looks really exciting that you would like to tell us about? Let's go to Ruka. I am actually really excited about my next job. I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to describe it. So I'm talking with hesitation, but I'm really excited about it. It's a coming of age thriller. I've done lots of coming of age, but I've never done a thriller before. So I'm really excited about that. And it's filming across Europe. So that will be a really exciting experience. And yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into a big TV project. Is that all okay with all of the lockdown restrictions at the moment? Is all the work going ahead still? At the moment, yes. That's why I say I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say because plans keep changing a lot. Yeah, fingers crossed, please. (laughs) But I would be starting around January next year. So yeah, hopefully. Abigail, do you have anything? coming up that you're excited about? Fingers crossed I've got two things but at the moment the dates are clashing so I'm gonna have to do one or the other so that we well, the first one that's looks most likely will be a tv show that will be coming out fingers crossed for Christmas day and I've just completed some stuff so I on Wednesday I finished doing 24 hours in A&E which I've been on for the last two months and then I did a show with Ranking the Photographer for Sky I've done another one with Benjamin Zephaniah and yeah I've got already been talking about some shows that will come out one a quiz show and another entertainment show potentially next year so I'm just getting my head around those things at the moment it's been a hard year but weirdly and kind of understandably my last few months have been quite busy and I just hope that that goes on to 2021 yeah, and hopefully this BAFTA breakthrough will contribute as much as it's difficult. This is an exciting point in your careers at the moment as well. Bim, is there anything that you've got coming up that you're excited about? Yeah, there's a few things, a few projects in the pipeline, actually. One of them is a play that's coming off the back of Here Not Here, actually. So the funding will be coming from Unlimited and I'll be working with the South Bank next year to do that. So that's really creative stuff that's going to be happening. Again, of course, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, you know, we've had to make changes and we've had to adjust things and change things to a more digital landscape rather than how we'd envisioned it originally. And again, raising the exposure, I think you have to do that in a different a different way. We've raised the exposure of Crump, which is a dance form, and VV, which is a visual vernacular art form, like a visual storytelling poetry, which is part of Here Not Here, and so it would also feature in these performance pieces again that we're going to do. We're also going to focus more on the visual vernacular side of things, as there's a lot of people that have shown real interest in that. So we'll see... how how that goes we may make something documentary wise about that and there's a short drama which is all I can say on that which is coming up so yeah that's me uh Joy do you have anything coming up yeah so speaking about being multidisciplinary I'm gonna be directing my debut feature that's so exciting um Chella anything on your plate as well I have a game that's in pre-production which I started the year before the 70th anniversary and it's called Windrush Tales, and it was supposed to be a celebration. <laughs> but yeah, then the scandal happened a couple of months after I'd spoken to a game writer who had to write it with me. So that is still in pre-production, so very early days. It's an illustrated narrative game about two people coming from the Caribbean. That sounds so exciting. <laughs> Anything on your plate coming up? There's nothing really I can say, but I am writing, so looking forward to that. I'm making stuff and yeah. And finally, tomorrow. You're so sick! I have to say this with my heart. 
with my heart is full. You thank are amazing. You. you are amazing. Thank you so so. Much. I have. Oh, thank you, thank you. Listen, <laughs> your patterns forever. Don't worry about it. And for me, Kindred is out now. It's come out in the states and on demand from the sixth of November. And Small Axe is debuting from this Sunday weekly for five weeks. And I'm in episode five, which is the last episode on December the thirteenth. So yeah. Just thank you, everyone, for everything that you're doing right now. Like, honestly, you're giving blessings to all the various industries you're working in. So thank you. And congratulations again on um, the Back to the Breakthrough. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>